Come thou fount of every blessing To my heart to sing thy grace Is there a doctor in the house? Better yet, is there a doctor in your house? That's our topic today in the family series from Calvary Worship Center in Colorado Springs where Pastor Al Pittman is our teacher. On this episode, we'll ask you to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 5 where we'll begin in verse 1. Here we go. John chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 15 this morning, and I really believe God has a special word for everybody that is here. I really do believe that. I, I, I love preparing the word of God and then coming and sharing the word because I know that God reveals to me something, but he has a, a specific word for each person here today. And it's not just to come here and hear another guy's sermon, but it's God wants to speak directly to you, to your heart. I've entitled this message, Is There a Doctor in the House? Is there a doctor in the house? And I'm here to tell you that Jesus, Dr. Jesus is here. That the Lord is here to not condemn, but the Lord is here to cure, to minister to each and every one of us this morning. And I pray that you would have an open heart to what God would have to say to you. And um, that he wants to speak to your heart. And uh, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless his word before we go any further. So join me, please. Father, we thank you for this opportunity this morning, Lord, to come and to just be in your word. And God, I really do believe that. I really do believe you have a special word for some folks. I believe there's going to be some people here today, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we'll get set free, we'll be challenged, we'll be encouraged. I pray, Father, that your word as it goes forth will not return to you void, but will accomplish that which you send it to do. And so, Father, we commit this time to you. Come, Holy Spirit, do your work. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. I mean, given this message, uh, the, the, uh, the title, a doctor is in the house, or is there a doctor in the house? Because uh, Jesus is going to minister to a man who's been paralyzed, as we'll see here, for 38 years. You know, I, I um, know a little something about physical ailments. It seems like the older I get, it looks like I'm starting to date my doctor because um, I'm always going to, some of you young people looking at me like, yeah, that's weird, but let me tell you, your time's coming. Just wait. And you're going to the physician all the time because with old age comes, you know, maladies, you know, things you've got to deal with. And like they said, you know, old age is not for wimps. Amen. Anybody over 50 should be saying amen right now. <laughs> it's not for wimps. But for all of us, we all, in a spiritual sense, uh, struggle with maladies, if you will, carnal propensities many times in our lives that threaten to paralyze our walk with Jesus Christ, threatens to paralyze our faith. And I want to talk a little bit about that today as we go through the text, as we go through the scriptures, we'll see how Jesus set this man free. And I believe God wants to set us free uh, this morning as well. Uh, the good news, regardless of what we may be going through, that there is a doctor in the house, Jesus, who was able to, to heal us and thus deliver us from being victims to being victors. Amen. He wants us to walk in victory. Let's get into the word of God. Verse one here of John chapter five. Read along with me. Hopefully you brought your Bibles with you and just read. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And now there in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. 
For an angel went down, verse 4, at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. Just a little explanation about some of these verses. Uh, and We don't know exactly which feast it says in verse 1 Jesus went down to. He's going down to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. It could be the Feast of Pentecost, or, uh, which is actually around this time of the year. I think today somebody was telling me that it, it's the Feast of Pentecost. I didn't check to verify that, but that would be around this time. It's, uh, uh, then also there's the Feast of Tabernacles, which occurs in the fall, and then the Feast, of course, of Pentecost uh, in the spring. So we don't really know which feast it was, but Jesus traveled down from Cana of Galilee all the way down to Jerusalem, around 66 miles. And by the way, there wasn't any... Tr- mass transit system, amen, that he actually walked all that way, 66 miles uh, down to uh, Jerusalem. Now, sometimes people think of Jesus being this sort of emaciated guy, just kind of a frail looking guy. I think he was a buff dude. That's just me. I don't know. He was, anybody walked 66 miles with a bunch of knuckleheads, you know, with him, his disciples, that's pretty, pretty big stuff. But he goes down to the pool of Bethesda, uh, the pool of Bethesda, um, uh, which means, uh, literally means house of mercy or house of grace. Uh, it was, it's called pool of Bethesda, but it was actually two pools. And so it was also, can also be translated place of two outpourings, two pools. Um, John mentions here that Jesus goes by, uh, uh, that the pool rather is located near the sheep gate. Why is it called the sheep gate? Well, it's uh, where they had the sheep market and it was on the north side of the temple, uh, the north entrance into the, uh, into the city, into the temple area. And um, uh, outside of that gate, the sheep gate, were, was the pool of Bethesda. In fact, if you've been to Israel, some of you probably have seen the ruins of the pool of Bethesda. So John's description of where this pool is is very accurate. Um, but he mentions that there's sheep that is by the sheep gate, I think for a reason. And that is because the people, the blind, the sick, the lame, the paralyzed, were like sheep gathering there at this pool looking for hope, looking for hope. Uh, a lot of times scripture refers to us as being sheep, as people being sheep. And by the way, being called a sheep is not a compliment. Amen. Sheep are some of the dumbest animals on the planet. And so when God says, you're a sheep, I mean, he was not really paying as a compliment. But David said, David was a sheep. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the Father is our shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. We are the sheep. And these people were like sheep there uh, around that pool. In fact, in Mark chapter 6, there uh, Jesus, when he fed the 5,000, he looked upon the people, the Bible says, with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So when God speaks to us as being sheep, he's not putting us down, but he's speaking with compassion as a shepherd uh, sees people who are wandering, people without a shepherd. And that's the scene we have here at the Pool of Bethesda, people wandering and looking for hope, but they were like sheep without a shepherd. It was commonly believed, according to John here within our text, verse 4, that an angel would come down at a certain time, a certain time, and stir the waters and And whoever could get into the water first would be healed. Now, this is what you would call an enigma because something miraculous must have happened at that pool that caused the people to believe that if they can get down into the pool, the first person in there would be healed. Now, whether it's a fact or not, the Bible doesn't elaborate about that. But it was indeed an enigma, a a mysterious occurrence that happened. And what we find here that, you know, as we look at this, we go, well, these people are, you know, that's kind of silly. 
But the reality is that we see that even today, the desperation people, desperate people who want hope will do almost anything, which opens a lot of people up to being deceived. Um, my wife and I, we lived in New Mexico for a while in Albuquerque, and, and I was on staff there with uh, Pastor Skip Heitzig for a few years before we moved back to uh, Colorado Springs and started pastoring the church. But when we were down there, occasionally you would hear this story of someone who was frying up some tortillas, and they were turning over, and they would see the impression, the face of Jesus in the tortilla. True story, I'm not lying. And people would come from miles around to see Jesus in the face of a tortilla. And I thought, if I saw Jesus' face in a tortilla, I'd slap some beans and rice on that bad boy and some green chili, amen? <laughs> and me and Jesus would have a good time. I'd eat that thing. But people would see that, and they would travel. And we laugh, but you know what? People looking for hope. And how about some of us? Sometimes we have found ourselves doing things longing for a relationship. We've found ourselves compromising in ways that we knew were wrong, but you know what? We, we, we were longing to be with someone or longing to do something and we compromised and did things that we knew that were maybe offensive or outside of what God wants us to do. Why? Because we're, we're desperate. And what we fail to realize is that Jesus Christ, that God is the only one who can really satisfy our soul. These people are desperate. They're, they're looking for a hope, but they're looking for it really in all the wrong places. The pool of Bethesda was kind of like a lottery system. You know, they tell you that uh, if you played a lottery that you've got one in, around 1 in 14 million chances to win. 1 in 14 million chances. And yet people still go, eh, I think I'll buy a ticket. You know, I think I'll take the chance. Why? Because of the hope, man, that I might hit the big one. When I consider this man, this paralytic at the pool of Bethesda, his odds were worse. Were not even as good as 1 in 14 million of being healed. And there he was laying by this pool. There he was laying there. 38 years he had been paralyzed. Looking for hope. Like a lot of people. We're still going back to the same things. Looking for hope. But they're not bringing us any hope. They're not bringing us any life. It's kind of like the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again. Expecting different results. And this man, the result was always the same. He could not get down into the pool. He was there, paralyzed, without any hope, no chance at all, no strength to deliver himself, no strength to get down into the pool. He would never be first. He would always be last. He was somebody who was forsaken, forgotten, overlooked. And how many people, when it comes to life, we feel that way ourselves? And yet Jesus walks in. At our lowest point, it's where the Lord meets us. Many times, forsaken, overlooked, forgotten. People stepping over him to get into the pool. He's probably screaming out, hey, can I get a little help? Everyone ignoring him. Again, spiritually speaking, just like a lot of people today, maybe there's someone here today who feels that way. I think at one time or another in life, we could all relate to this man who'd been paralyzed for 38 years. But this day would be different, amen. There's a doctor in the house. His name is Jesus, Dr. Jesus, MD, amen. MD for Master Deliverer. 
Whatever your malady is, he can deliver you. Whatever your situation is, he can deliver you. And the Lord shows up. They're not in observance, really, of a religious feast. Even though they were having a Jewish religious feast, but he was, he was there on divine appointment. He was making a house call, if you will. Making a house call with this man because of the very fact that he came for, to heal, not just to show off, but to really fulfill scripture concerning the Messiah. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 4 to 6, that the Messiah would come healing the blind and the lame. And so Jesus was there to make this house call as a fulfillment of divine prophecy concerning the Messiah. And there he is, this man in this hopeless condition. And Jesus shows up as a testament that he is the hope of the world. But he came to heal not only physically, but to heal us from the cruelest of all maladies, the cruelest of all sickness, all sickness, and that is the sinful heart of man, our spiritual bankruptcy that has kept us from the living God. I pray that everybody in here today knows Jesus Christ, but it may be someone here today who doesn't know him. And the remedy is for you to come to faith in Christ. The remedy is to put your faith in him. The remedy is not trying to be good enough or or to earn your salvation. Because the Bible says that our righteousness is but, the, but like a filthy rag in the sight of God. The only righteousness that God will receive is the righteousness of his son, whose blood was pure, who was tempted as we are, but yet was without sin. And he offered himself as a pure sacrifice for our sins. He not only came to touch people physically, and he does. The Lord touches people at times physically and all. But he came to heal our most greatest need, and that is being separated from God being lost because of our sin. And so this man would realize Jesus Christ in a moment here as his healer, but he also came to be his deliverer. He's the one that is able to heal us and to restore us. And I'm so glad that the Lord came for us. The Bible says that he came for those who were sick. Pastor Al was a sick puppy. Pastor Al still a sick puppy, amen. <laughs> Needing God's grace and mercy each and every day found only in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 2, it says those who are well, Jesus said, have no need of a physician. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amen. He came to call sinners to repentance. He said, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how low I've been. You don't know what was, what's in my life. Listen, he came for you. He came for those who thought they would never be worthy, who are forsaken, overlooked, and forgotten. Jesus died for sinners. He died for you, and he died for me. I love what verse 6 says as we look at the text here. It goes on to say, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, now check this out, do you want to be made well? I mean, my first impression, to be honest with you, is like, duh. You know, I'm laying here. I can't walk. I'm trying to get down the water. Yeah, do I want to be made well? What do you think, Jesus? And I wonder why would he ask him that question? Well, the first thing is the fact that Jesus looked at him. And he knew, the Bible says, his condition. And the Lord knows your condition this morning. You know, if you've ever had the wonderful privilege of going into an MRI machine, anybody? 
Huh? Amen. <laughs> we highly recommend it, don't we? No. <laughs> but going to the MRI machine, MRI machine, the magnetic uh, resonance uh, machine, ma- magnetic resonance uh, imaging machine, and you go into that machine, it puts you in there. It's about a 45-minute process. And, and what it does is it produces pictures and images of the human body in the brain for the doctors, the physicians to see it uh, so they know what's going on inside. It takes about 45 minutes, but the Lord shows up. The Holy Spirit who is here right now this morning, the Holy Spirit who is here, it can look right through you and in an instant, in less than a second, know everything about you. Jesus looked at the man. He knew everything about him. He looked at the man. He knew exactly what was going on. He knew how long he'd been sick. He knew what was going on in his life, the challenges in his life, all the the letdowns and disappointments of his life. He looked and in an instant. He read him. He diagnosed him like the great physician he is. And the Lord can do the same thing in your life. Oh, we can look pretty good on the outside and people think, oh man, they look pretty sharp this morning. But the Lord looks at the heart. He examines us. He does an MRI on us. He rightly and correctly diagnoses us, not to condemn us, but to heal us, to cure us. The woman at the well in John chapter 4 said it best. After she had the encounter with Jesus Christ at the well in Samaria, the Samaritan woman went into the town and she said, come and see a man who knows everything that I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? Wow. Is there anybody who knows everything you've ever done? Every thought you've ever had, every wicked thing you've ever conceived in your mind and in your heart, Jesus does. And this woman, basically, if I can paraphrase her words at the woman from the well, she said, come see a man who knows everything I ever did, and yet he's still willing to love me. Husbands and wives don't know everything about them, about their spouses. But Jesus knows everything about you, and yet he's still willing to love you. Could he be the Messiah? Oh, yes, indeed he is. Amen. Thank God for his great love and mercy. And because he knows everything about you, because Jesus knew everything about this man, the Lord is the one who knows how to correctly heal you. I love what the Lord God said to the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. He said, for I am the God who heals you. I know sometimes we look for healing in other places. We look for healing in relationships. Oh, if I can get a new boyfriend or a new girlfriend, if I can get another spouse, <laughs> you know, if I can get a, another wife or a new husband or whatever, you know, if I can get that job or, or that money or that, those drugs or whatever, oh, life will be so much better. But sin is pleasurable, but only for a season. And then payday shows up. And payday demands, sin demands payment in full. But thank God Jesus died for our sins. Those things cannot heal you. Those things that medicating yourself cannot deliver you. Only Dr. Jesus can heal the soul. In fact, the Bible says it's only God who can satisfy the soul with goodness. He is the God who's able to heal you. So the question again, back here in Verse 6, Jesus says, do you want to be made well? Why would he ask him that question? I mean, the obvious is there. He's, he's, he's paralyzed. Lord, you know, Lord, you know my situation. It's obvious, Lord. I, we need some help in our marriage or we need help in this situation. Why would you even ask the question? Because the Lord will never impose himself on you. You want to reject Jesus? You don't want him at your party? You don't want him in your life? You know what? He will not come in. He will not drag you into the kingdom. The Bible says, whosoever will, let them come. 
It's a heart. It's a decision you make of your heart that you're willing to come and follow the Lord. He will not impose himself upon us. You you don't want anything to do with him. He's not going to kick down the door of your life. The second reason I believe he's asking this question is because, (laughs) let's be honest, there are some people who don't, who rather complain, I should say, rather than be cured. In fact, complaining has become their lot in life and they love to complain. They remind me of those women that, that uh, uh, Paul the Apostle was writing about in 2 Timothy when he said to Timothy, he said, these, these women, he, Paul called them this. I didn't call them this. This is what Paul said. He said, they're gullible women because they're always learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. There's not only just women, but there are men who do the same thing. Always learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Why? Because they really don't want to be healed. In fact, they're, they're, that, that, that situation they're in or whatever has become like a crutch to them. And, and, and what it does, it gives them significance because it garners for them or gains them the sympathy and the attention of other people who are always coming, oh, oh you poor thing, oh, you poor thing. And they love that. And they'd rather not be healed because it makes them feel important to others. There are some people like that. You know anybody like that? If you don't, maybe it's you. Anyway, I'm just saying. But, uh, <laughs> but there's a lot of people who are like that. So Jesus will ask, and I believe he's asking that question this morning. Do you want to be made well? Lord, I, our marriage needs help. Do you want to be made well? Lord, I'm empty inside of it. Do you want to be made well? He's asking you the question. He's asking all of us. Jesus challenges this man. He challenges him literally to put feet to his faith. In verse 7, we read, it says that for the, wick man, uh, the sick man, or rather, the sick man answered Jesus. and says, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And, I, you know, I can't get in. And I love this because it was typical of a human reaction. He's offering up excuses. Now, to his credit, he doesn't know this is Jesus talking to him yet. He just knows there's some dude there saying, hey, you want to get in the pool? And he's like, man, you know, and he said, don't you want to be healed? Like, yeah, man, but I can't. You know, every time I try to get down here, somebody gets ahead of me, you know. But what is he doing here? He's, he's doing what we do a lot of times when the Lord says, you want your marriage to be healed? You want this to be healed? You want, you want your, your, you know, the, this taken out of your life? You want to be delivered from that? And what do we do? We, the first thing we do is we begin to offer him excuses why God can't do what he says he can do. And we start offering excuses. Oh, I can't. This, there's no way. Every time I try to get down there, you know. Oh, Lord, you know, I want to have a happy marriage, but it's the wife you gave me. And then the Lord says, that's already been used. That's not done work. Didn't work back in the garden. It's not going to work here when Adam used it. Amen. It's the woman you gave me. Or, or if I just had a better husband. Oh, here's all the reasons why I would read my Bible more if he would pray more. And all, whatever excuses we have, there's always an excuse why we can't be made well. And I challenge you this morning to put aside, to set aside your excuses and to listen to his words. Because I love the Lord's response. To this man laying there in this condition. 
I love his response. He doesn't say, well, oh, you poor thing. You know what? You did have a tough childhood, and so I know why you can never really get it together. Oh, you, you poor thing. Oh, come on, make an appointment or, or you know, take this drug or, or you know, let's, let's set some therapy up for you because you need therapy. The Lord always goes right to the juggler, man. He does. He doesn't mess around. He always says his words are life. I love what he says. What does he say to him? He turns to the man and he says to him, after all of his excuses, after all of our excuses, what does the Lord say to us, spiritually speaking? He says, rise, take up your bed and start walking. Wow. Talk about challenging. Come on, man. I've been paralyzed not for a week. 38 years, dude. What do you mean, Rise. (laughs) Take up my bed and walk. There's no way I can do that. But you know, it speaks about something that's really important to understand about the Lord. The first thing is this, that you cannot please God apart from faith. And before God does something miraculous in your life, he wants to see your faith. And when God calls you to do something, you know it's faith because he calls you to do something that you cannot do yourself. If you can figure out and go to school for it and figure out how to do it and go, hey, I got an education. I got a degree in that. Pastor, I can do that. God's not called you to do it. He always calls people who are the foolish and the weak, people who are unable to do it, to do the impossible. Why? So that he can get the glory and not you. That's faith. He calls us to faith. And he calls his man to faith. To do something that is totally impossible. There's no way that he can do this. And there's something God is calling you to do in your marriage. He's saying, you can have that kind of marriage. Lord, there's no way we're on the verge of divorce. Rise up and walk. Lord, there's no way. You know, I keep stumbling. I, keep, I'm, I think I'm committed, bound to this thing. I can't get set free. Rise up and walk. He calls us to do the impossible, does he not? He's a good God. He calls this man to put feet to his faith, to rise up and to walk, to set aside the excuses, the obstacles in our life. And to put our trust in his words. Notice in verse 9, it says here, and how long? Anybody? Open book test. Immediately. Immediately. Like right now. The healing came. The man was made well. Took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. That day was the Sabbath. And John points that out for another reason. Same reason he pointed out the sheep gate. He pointed out the people were like sheep without a shepherd. And we'll see here in a moment. He's pointing out the Sabbath for another reason we'll get to in just a moment. But immediately the man was healed. And what I want you to see here is that Jesus, in healing him, gave him dominion over the very thing he used to rest in and trust in. That bed, that familiar place, that thing, he said, roll it up, take it up, rise up and walk. I'm going to give you dominion over the thing you once relied upon, you once laid your life upon. In that same house where there was been trouble and, and, and pain in your home, Jesus can come in if you want to be made well, and he can bring healing in that same place. In that same place where the man was paralyzed, Jesus commanded him to stand up and walk and to take dominion over that which once held him captive. That's my Jesus. That's your Jesus. That's what he came to do to set us free by the power of his mighty Holy Spirit, his work, his grace, and his mercy. 
He gave him dominion. What does that mean for us? I think it means for us that we don't have to lay down in defeat any longer. We don't have to lay down in that place of defeat. That place that once was a place of defeat, God causes you to rise up. There are people who have been set free from pornography. There's marriages that I've seen people get divorced and then get back together and get remarried. I've seen people, you know, God take them out of addictions and raise them up. The very thing that once held them captive. You know, we had Christopher Ewan at our church a few weeks ago and this powerful testimony. He was totally caught up in the gay lifestyle. That was his thing, man. He was out there and then Jesus got a hold of his life transformed him. Now he goes around the country speaking to people, you know, about the fact that not that they need to be heterosexual or they need to be homosexual, but the fact that we as Christians need to be holy, that his identity is in God. God said, be ye holy as I am holy. And, and now I looked at this guy teaching up there and I'm going, wow, look at this man. Look, the devil thought he had him. But Jesus set him free. And that which once dominated his life, he's now taking dominion over it in the name of Jesus and other people are being set free. God can do that in your life as well. What holds you? What holds you? Jesus says to you today, take up your bed and walk. Take dominion over it. In a place where you were once a victim, you can now be a victor. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, this great miracle is taking place. This man is walking, and, and what, who shows up? The, the legalistic people who are more concerned about their religious ruts than they are about a sinner being made well. I remember the story uh, years ago told of Chuck Smith, who started Calvary Chapels, and, and, and Chuck tells the stories. The story is told. I've heard it told many times that uh, in the church, they had put new carpet in the church, and, and yet, Back there in the early late 60s and early 70s, these hippies were coming in to the church to hear the word of God being taught. And they'd come in with sand between their toes from the beaches and all this and, and their swimming trunks and stuff. And, and a lot of people in the church started grumbling and want them in there. And, and some of them said, they're coming in with the sand. We're going to have to require that they not come in here with, you know, put some shoes on or something because they're ruining our carpet. And Chuck said, then rip the carpet out because it's more about people than it is about the carpet. Legalistic people never want things to change. They like their form of godliness, but no power. So we find the religious responding here in verse 10. It says that the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. Is it not lawful for you to carry? Is it not lawful uh, for you to carry uh, your bed? In other words, they, they believe on the Sabbath. You should not work as Moses said. You should not work. But him carrying his bed was a form of work. And they thought, oh, you're, you're sinning against the Sabbath. But let me explain. By the time Jesus came on the scene, the law, which said on the Sabbath day you should rest, which is a Saturday, they had taken it and add laws upon laws upon laws upon laws upon laws on that, not only that law, but many of the other laws, so that they had totally distorted the law of Moses. And so they were more concerned and legalistic about, you know, what you did on the Sabbath day and you, things you couldn't do. You can only walk so many uh, feet and all this kind of stuff on the Sabbath day or it was considered a violation of the Sabbath law. But what did Jesus say? Well, in Mark chapter 2, he said that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So you guys got it all twisted. And yet here they are giving this guy a hard time because he's carrying his bed on the Sabbath, more concerned about the law than they are about a sinner being made well. 
And he answered them, excuse me, verse 11, he answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. And then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Verse 13, but the one who was, who was healed did not know it was it did not know it was Jesus. He was looking for this guy that he was talking to. He didn't know it was the Lord. Did not know that it was, it was Jesus, that Jesus had withdrawn, it says there in verse 13, and a multitude being in that place. In other words, there's hundreds of people, and so he lost Jesus in the crowd. But then later on, verse 14, afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. He became an evangelist. (laughs) He went back and told the Jews, it was Jesus that made me well. Do we tell people who have made us well? Do we let them know it was Jesus, man? It wasn't some program or whatever. Jesus touched my life. If it wasn't for Jesus, I'd be dead right now. Jesus made me well. Once he found out who it was, he told everybody. But notice the Lord tells him, gives him a warning here, but it's a warning out of compassion. It's not It's not a threat. He said, you've been made well, but don't continue in sin lest something worse happens to you because sin has consequences. And so Jesus is basically saying to the man, do not take the grace of God for granted. He's not saying to him, oh, you should never, ever have a sin in your life because 1 John chapter 1 and chapter 2 tells us that sometimes Christians blow it, man. And the Bible says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It also says that you don't have to sin, but if you do, remember Jesus is your advocate. He's your attorney. Your propitiation, your forgiveness for your sins and for the sins of the world. So the Bible's very plain about that. He's not saying to the man, now be perfect, never make a mistake, never ever have a sin in your life. But he's telling him the course that you're on, because listen, the man is in the temple. He's in the temple. Why is he in the temple? Because he's giving thanks to God for his healing. And Jesus is basically encouraging him to continue to pursue the very heart of God. This man has been delivered. He's been healed. But what is the application for us? For those of us who are here today and we're saying, you know, I want to be healed. The Lord is saying to you, do you want to be made well? I want to be made well. I want to have a right relationship with God. I want the Lord to be at the center of our marriage again. I want the Lord to be at the center of my life again. I've wandered from my first love. I want to come back. Well, here's a couple of things we need to do if we're going to be made well. Number one is we need to submit to the Lord's examination. Submit to the Lord's examination. Now, sometimes when you go to the doctor for a physical exam, what what do they tell you to do? To stick out your tongue. To say, ah, right? Why do they do that? Sometimes I wonder to stick in that, you know, wooden stick in my mouth. And I'm going, what is this for? Well, any trained physician understands that he can look at your tongue and tell what's going on inside. He can tell that there's an infection or a sickness inside of you. My wife sent me a devotion about the tongue, and it had to do with the fact that, that it's like the physician asked you to stick your tongue out. It's like he, the, the devotion basically said, well, what do you talk about most of the time? What's on your tongue most of the time? Is it doubt? Is it fear? Is it gossip? Is it condemnation? What's the first thing out of your mouth? Well, that tells you evidence, evidence of the fact of what's going on inside you, what's happening in your heart. And did Jesus not say, he told us in Matthew chapter 12, he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. Amen. Are you always negative? Are you always judgmental? Are you always condemning? Then check your heart. 
We've got to submit ourselves to this examination. David did. Search me, O God, and know my, thought, my, my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Have you submitted to God's examination? Not your examination, because you look in the mirror and go, I'm looking good. You know. <laughs> but God looks not at the outward appearance, he looks at the heart. Submitting to his examination, if you want to be made well, that's number one. Number two, second thing we, do, we have to do is we have to submit, or take rather, the medicine he prescribes. The prescription that he writes. And what is the prescription? It's been written out for us. Here it is. It's his word. Are we obeying his word? Are we following the prescription? Well, I just want to give them a piece of my mind. Well, that's your problem because you, you ought to have the mind of Christ. <laughs> and they don't need your piece of your mind. They need the mind of Christ. Am I living my life according to what his word declares? Because here is our prescription right here. It's like going to the doctor and he writes out a prescription for you and then you, you don't take it. And then you come back a month later and he goes, how you doing? I still feel the same way. Well, how, why, are you taking the medicine? No. Well, then get out of my office. <laughs> now, he wouldn't tell you that, but I don't know. Because you're not taking the medicine. How can we expect God to work in my life and to be made well if I'm not taking the medication he prescribed, his word? And Jesus said it best when he said in Luke chapter 6, but why do you call me Lord, Lord? Or in context of our message today, why do you call me doctor, doctor? And then do not do the things which I say. How can we be healed until we come under, yield rather, to his authority? In our lives. So, coming under his examination, number one. Number two, taking the prescription, number two, will enable us to be made well. Let me conclude by saying this to you today. There is no wound or sin so great that God's grace to heal us is not greater still. Regardless of where you are or what you're going through, he is there to heal you, to minister to you. He did not come to condemn us or to condemn the world for that fact. But the world can be healed, can be saved, made well through him. Do you really want to be made well today? Listen to what Isaiah says, and I will close. Isaiah 55, verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. He is near in this service. There are people after the service who will be standing here to, to pray with you. But I ask you if today, if you do not know Jesus Christ and urge you today, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you would surrender your life to him today. He's the only one who can make you well. That you would open your heart to him and just simply say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you are risen from the dead. Come into my life. I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. And at that moment, the Bible said, that instant, the same amount of time when this, it took for that man to be healed, you will be made a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Amen? God is good. You come as uh, they lead us in this last song, um, and there'll be people here to pray with you. But let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you, Lord, that you call each and every one of us, wherever we are in our life, to rise up, to take up our mat and walk, to follow Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name, we thank you for that hope and for that truth. Help us, Lord, to follow you. Amen. So, there can be a doctor in your house. Better yet, there can be the doctor in your house. 
His name is Jesus, and his mission is for you to have a healthy family. This has been the Family Series with Pastor Al Pittman, and the first step for health in your family is to be certain each member has a real, living relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's be clear about the prescription, because there is no alternative. First, realize you're a sinner. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We cannot become who we are supposed to be without Jesus Christ. Then, recognize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. The Bible tells us that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And all must repent of sin. The Bible tells us, repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. The word repent means to change our direction in life. Instead of running from God, we run towards him. And finally, receive Jesus Christ into your life. Becoming a Christian is not merely believing some creed or going to church. It's having Christ himself take up residence in your life and heart. These are the steps that create forgiveness of sin and start the journey to spiritual health. For more direction, go to cwccs.org and look for the How to Know God section. The Gospel. It's the best news we can ever hear. Back next week with another episode from Pastor Al Pittman. This message has been presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.